This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Last week ended with opening of things, lifting of some restrictions, not all of them. We're still kind of working toward that and hoping we see things cooperate in terms of case counts, right? We'll see what happens. But opening is continuing, and it's being seen in, in a number of spots. In East London right now, a very smiling Ward 2 councillor, Sean Lewis, stood taking a picture of a large expanse of something that looked fun, especially if we could get back to where we used to be in this world. Ward 2 councillor, Sean Lewis, joins us now to talk about what he was taking a picture of. Councillor Lewis, how are things? Uh, things are, are looking up in many ways, uh, Mike, not the least of which, as you were alluding to, patios are, are opening, other businesses are starting to reopen, case counts are down, vaccination rates are up, so, uh, and, and the nice weather is here. So, um, you know, we've had uh, a couple of really tough, tough weeks as Canadians and as Londoners, um, but there is also reason to be hopeful and optimistic uh, about the future and uh we we do have some things to look forward to well uh, let's kind of <laughs> yeah let, let's look at what's happening in east london that that maybe even adds to what you were already describing yeah so in in my ward in uh, east london in the argyle neighborhood we are starting to phase open uh amenities uh at the east lions community center which has been a project that feels like it's been decades in the making now, um, but has, has been, as you know, uh, plagued with numerous problems, as we've talked about before. Now, when I say amenities, we're talking about the outside park amenities right now. We still do have some work to do in the building, uh, but the good news is that the basketball court is is already open and being really, really well used, and, and that's where I was standing when I took that picture the other day, uh, you know, I, I was out for a walk and I, all of these people were enjoying, uh, the, the walking paths that are now open. The security fences are down from around the outside of the park. People can take the walking trails and, and there was a crowd of people at the basketball court, uh, using it, young families. And I, I stopped and chatted with, uh, Isaiah and his dad who were, uh, shooting some baskets. And I asked if they would mind being in a picture in the, in the background so that I could show people that the space was opening up and starting to be uh, able to be used, and, and they were happy to do that. Sure that I know that the nets arrived for the pickleball courts yesterday. Um, the uh, lines are down on the tennis courts, and the chain link fence is up around them, uh, so the nets will be going up there too. And, and we're hoping by this weekend to have all the outdoor amenities, with the exception of the soccer pitch, which needs the grass to, to grow in stronger yet, and the playground equipment, which is actually still in the, the immediate construction site for the building itself. Uh, so with the exception of those two things, we're going to have two pickleball courts up and running. We're going to have a tennis court up and running. Uh, there's an outdoor ping pong table that people can use. Uh, there's the great walking spaces, the outdoor basketball court that, you know, my uh, three-point shot is is worse than my slap shot, which is terrible <laughs> itself. But um, 
I, I'm looking forward to the, the winter as well when there will be an outdoor skating rink there um, and maybe an opportunity for a, a little neighborhood shinny once in a while. Uh, so finally, our, our long, difficult path uh, to completing this project, we're, we're getting to the, the end of the tunnel. Like I said, we still have some work to do inside, but it's just wonderful to see the fencing starting to come down and, and people starting to enjoy that space. We're talking with Ward 2 Councillor Sean Lewis. Councillor Lewis, you mentioned the indoor building and the hurdles that just seem to keep coming. What do you look at as being the major issue right now in the latest delay? Well, we still have to get uh, the hardwood floor down in the gymnasium space. Uh, and there's a little bit of work to do around the pool area yet. Um, crews have had to go back and, and make a couple of adjustments to work that was previously indicated that was done. Uh, and I don't want to get into that too much because, of course, there's uh, outstanding uh, legal concerns around uh, the uh, first contractor who was on the site. So without going into too much detail there, there's there's a little bit of work to do inside. But I'll tell you, the community kitchen, uh, the appliances have arrived, the uh, sinks and the stainless steel counters are in, uh, the ceiling tiles in a number of the spaces, which we are waiting for to get across the border uh, those are starting to get dropped into the ceiling, which means we can start turning on the HVAC units in the next couple of weeks and, and doing the humidity controls that we need to do for the gymnasium floor. So there, there are still a few holdups. It is not a labor holdup at this point. There's a, a lot of little supply holdups, and there's some cleanup that needs to be done. Last week, we got the, the second layer of asphalt down in the parking lot. Um, so all around, we're, we're making great progress here. Uh, and... Well, I can't give you an exact opening date on the building yet, the fact that we are opening up some of the outside stuff right now was really important to me. And I got to give full credit to our staff, Mike. Um, you know, the, the plan was to open everything at once, and and I pushed back against that a little bit. But to their credit, staff said, you know what, after the, the year and a half we've had of COVID, we understand why the community needs their green space as soon as possible. So we're going to make that a priority. Let's get that open first and and that's where we are today. So it's, it's a good news situation. Um, you know, we've got a couple of little things to tidy up by Friday. But, you know, uh, knock on wood, if, if the weather holds, we should be able to have all of those outdoor amenities available this weekend. Really? Okay. So on Friday, head to the site and except for the grass on the soccer pitch, things should be good? Except for the grass on the soccer pitch, things should be good. Um, and I might even... Um, sit on my own outdoor patio, my front porch, and, and watch it with a beverage in my hand. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be well used. It's already well used. Uh, there have been kids on the basketball court every night since the fencing came down. They're they're loving the space. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, this isn't the only Good News Park space story in East London because a couple years back, before COVID came along, we had this thing called Neighborhood Decision Making, that communities got to vote on a project um, and, and get some city funding for. Well, one of the winning projects was in the East End. It's a naturalized playground structure that's going in in Kiwanis Park on the south side of Trafalgar, which was a, a vacant space. There wasn't anything there before. Uh, so we're putting in a new naturalized it's wood and stone and like really minimal plastic and, and metal. It's very natural materials. And that's in process, and that should be open uh, by the end of the month, too. So we are creating some great outdoor opportunities for kids of all ages, from, you know, toddlers to 
seniors who want to get in the game of pickleball. Um, lots of opportunities for kids of all ages to get outside and, and play uh, safely with the, the COVID restrictions we're still under. Well, we like hearing that the, the re in reopening can sometimes be put to the side and it can just be opening. That That's also good. So, Councillor Lewis, thank you for providing the latest on that. And we'll see when it's time to order the ribbon for cutting for the inside. But it sounds like we're finally making headway getting toward that finish line. Thanks so much for the time. And we'll talk again soon. My pleasure, Mike. And, you know, you've always made me uh, welcome in the press box at uh, Budweiser Gardens, and I hope we're able to reopen that this fall uh, and and return to that. But I'll certainly make sure that you get an invite to join me, uh, not in the press box, but for the press tour of of the community centre when we cut that ribbon. Oh, I'm in. I am totally in. And then we'll go outside and have a three-point shooting contest, and neither one of us will win. Uh, No, I bet you the kids in the neighbourhood will beat us hands down. (laughs) <laughs> I am willing to uh, agree with that 100%. You take care of yourself and, uh, and keep safe. Thanks, Mike. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> That's Ward 2 Counselor Sean Lewis. Do not ask Sean, do not ask me for help with any three-point shots. Not going to be worth it. We'll, have, we'll ask you. If we look at some Leger research that was done, And we go back to last April. A number of people were surveyed, and they were asked the question, how are you feeling? How is the state of your mental health? And you could put poor, you could put average, you could put very good, you could put excellent. And a year ago, so April of 2020, 46% of people put very good or excellent. 46% of adults surveyed, very good or excellent. Leger decided to do the same research a year later, so April of 2021. That number was not 46% in the very good or excellent category. It was down to 29, which is a pretty significant statistical drop. What are we seeing locally? Let's find that out. We are lucky enough right now to be joined by Beth Mitchell, Beth is the CEO of the Canadian Mental Health Association, Middlesex Branch. Beth, this continues to be a difficult time. How are you doing? Well, I think we're doing well. It's very busy for everybody at CMHA, for sure. And I think in general, it, it's been a drain on the, on our staff and our leaders. But uh, hopefully we're able to still provide what the community needs. We talk about the toll that anyone who is providing any kind of health care, mental, physical, you name it, the toll that this last year has taken. What has that been like for you and your staff? Well, I think, you know, in healthcare, we're often used to dealing with a crisis or an emergency by just kind of powering up and going as hard as we can to get through it. This has been so different because it's been relentless and no end in sight in many ways. And certainly in mental health, we know that some of the greatest pressures are coming kind of after everybody's had the vaccine, after everybody's recovered, because the the effects from a psychological standpoint are far more long lasting. And so I I think for us, we may be just seeing the tip of the iceberg, actually. So it's hard to, you know, kind of have that energy. And certainly we encourage our staff to, you know, look after themselves as much as much as possible so that they can look after others. That's just it. I mean, we talk about making sure that we're 
watching out for family members and, and friends and loved ones. You have a staff that knows the signs that they should be looking for, but how hard is it to look for those signs within yourselves? Well, I think it, I think you're right. You know, sometimes we see it, but we feel obligated to ignore it or push it to the side and, and keep going because we know and want to provide the service. Our, our staff are so committed and they see the needs of uh, individuals they've already served or the needs that we hear about through, you know, the media and surveys and, and they want to do something. And so, you know, many times it means, you know, we'll put somebody else first and me last. So it really is one of our, our values is, you know, look after yourself, take time support your coworkers when you see them uh, having a rough time and, and uh, encouraging people to take their vacation, even though it feels like there's nowhere to go. Um, it's still important to have that break and to uh, look after yourself every day. So, so we do our best, but again, like I said, there's so much need that it's always trying to balance the two. Beth Mitchell joining us, Chief Executive Officer with the Canadian Mental Health Association, Middlesex Branch. Beth, what are you seeing from this area in terms of the types of calls that you're receiving? Um, I think a lot of anxiety for sure. And, uh, you know, the result of being isolated for, for many months, some people uh, have hardly seen anyone and, uh, and not been in the work environment. And we know that a lot of times just those casual encounters when you pick up a coffee from someone you see every morning or, you know, ride the bus with sort of the same people. If those things are not in your day, even if you're continuing to work, um, you're not having those kinds of encounters. And we're very social beings as humans. And so the lack of that creates um, stress. It, it removes some of the ways we usually cope, which is maybe go out with friends and family. So um, it, it's a funny situation we're in now because I think people are feeling pretty excited and delighted to see things opening up and get vaccines and feel like we're moving in the right direction, which we are. But at the same time, um, I, I hear a lot of people say it just feels weird to be out somewhere with a lot of folks. And uh, so I think it's we're going to go through that a little bit as much as we want to move back. It's still somewhat anxiety provoking to get there. And of course, there are a lot of people who have lost their jobs or had you know significant family issues as everybody has been pushed together. And, and so those things are going to continue, as I said, probably long after the actual spread of COVID has uh, ceased. So we've had increased calls to our uh, crisis line. We have increased visits to places where we offer um, to, to people who are living rough or um, are in vulnerable situations. They might come to my sister's place for a meal. Normally they would come you know, for connections. So um, we've seen numbers increase there. We've, we've certainly partnered with a lot of our um, other community organizations, including the city, so that we could reach out to people. Um, but we know there have been increased opioid overdoses and deaths on um, in, you know, situations that we might have been able to prevent before just because we had greater connections with people. So uh, it's a very troubling time across the spectrum of um the community in terms of what they're dealing with. Beth Mitchell joining us as we talk about our mental health, our community's mental health, and some of the things that we may have to be addressing going forward. Beth, even before we get to the idea that we may just be seeing the tip of the iceberg, you mentioned going out into social settings. There will be people who have no problem with this. Let's go. And here we are. And then you may not necessarily be in that group. Maybe 
Maybe you're somebody who goes back out and, and doesn't always feel comfortable. Any recommendations for anybody who maybe gets into that setting and thinks, I haven't been here in a while and I, I don't feel comfortable being here right now? Well, I think as always, you have to listen to your own feelings. And I think, you know, if, if you're in a situation where you're feeling some pressure to do something that does not feel right for you. And truly, it is a different experience for every individual. And some people, as you said, are going to be, you know, the first on the patio and calling all their friends and others are going to say, you know, I think I'll wait and see. Uh, and, and both are, are fine as long as people are being physically safe. And, and I think, you know, we have to respect that some people, you know, are, are booking trips and heading all over the world and others are, you know, saying, I think I'll stay home for another year as much as I don't want to do that. So I, I, you have to really listen to yourself and think about what's safe for you, your family, uh, and, and proceed that way without a lot of pressure. I, I certainly hear people saying, um, I'm going to be more thoughtful and maybe choosy about where I go and who I go with. And I think that's maybe a good way to think about approaching it. Beth, we hear a lot about young people. You know, when you get to a certain age, you've had some life experiences you can draw from. You've had things that maybe were a little different, things you had to deal with. When you're a young person, this might be the first big one. And this is this is a big one. What do we do if you have a young person in your life? What what are we watching for, listening for? Well, I think you're right. It's been an, an age group that has really experienced this in a very tough way and partly because they don't have that life experience and also because that's an age where we really uh, expect, you know, kids, youth, young adults to be, you know, socializing, they're uh, in relationships, they're forming relationships, peers are so important at that period of life. So to have that gap uh, is an adjustment. I think, you know, if you have uh, a youth at home, it's certainly important to keep them engaged as much as possible with the family, to think of ways for them to engage with friends uh, and to encourage them to kind of get back into routines as soon as it's safe. So if they're into sports, doing their best to kind of get back into sports or to, you know, get back to school where they can, just because that's going to normalize life for them. But um, kids don't always express their stress in the same way. They may just be more irritable they may be withdrawn they may you know not want to talk so I think it's important that um, parents and siblings or whoever is is near that youth friends um, to keep an eye out if they're becoming more and more uh, withdrawn and isolated, uh, sleeping a lot, uh, really not looking after themselves those are good warning signs to say something's not right. We're talking with Beth Mitchell. CEO of the Middlesex branch of the Canadian Mental Health Association. Beth, as a final point, you mentioned, we don't know, maybe what we're seeing right now in mental health and coming into the interview, we we'd kind of cited the information from the Leger poll that mm-hmm. last April, 42% of people rated their mental health as very good or excellent. This past April, that was down to 29%. We don't know what's coming. What needs to be in place so that we're ready for whatever is coming? One of the things we're trying to do at CMHA, uh, both here and, and in CMHAs across the country, is to try to be as proactive and preventive as we can. So offering people the opportunity um, to, you know, learn better coping skills, to learn better ways to uh, handle their emotions. Um, so some of that, I think, is is a way to say let's let's not let it get any 
first. Let's look at where we can offer um, support. We can offer education. We can teach people about mental health. One of the kind of ironies of all of this is now people are understanding how important mental health is and, and how important it is to find ways to look after yourself. I think in, in many times in the past, we kind of pushed it back into the corner or we thought, you know, being healthy meant, you know, exercising and eating right and sleeping right and not paying so much attention to our um, our mental health. So I, I think using that awareness and saying there are lots of things online, there are lots of things that we hope that will be available in person so that you can come and say, you know, how do I recognize stress? How do I learn to deal with it? What are some ways I can help my kids? What are some ways I can help my coworkers? So I think that's going to be really important that we take that on and and uh, and share that responsibility to look after ourselves in a different way maybe than we did before to know that it's okay to talk about when you're having an off day uh, and rather than trying to kind of hide that feeling uh, and certainly you know to use the resources that are available we we see you know the government is starting to, to you know invest in mental health services we are hopeful that we can expand and offer more in the way of you know counseling and and support to people. So I think, you know, opening that door and saying it's absolutely okay and we should expect that, um, that we can get mental health care in the same way we get physical health care. Um, But we're going to need to prepare for that. And it may take a while to kind of right size and have the things available that we know people are going to need. If someone needs to talk or they're concerned about somebody that they know, what do they do? Well, I mean, certainly CMHA has a support line that people can contact and they can get um, just someone to talk to to support them through a tough time. Um, I can give you that number. It's um, 519-601-8055. So people can call in anytime, 24-7, and just chat and get some support if you're feeling depressed or lonely. And then for crisis where people are feeling really uh, not safe and that they're at a point where they don't know how to cope, we have both walk-in services. Actually, we've just relocated to 534 Queens Ave uh, just this week. Our crisis center has moved there while our other building is undergoing renovations and people can come there and get face-to-face support or they can call our reach out line. Uh, and again, that's 24-7. It's 5 519-433-2023, or you can text that same number. Uh, and there's web chat at reachout247.ca. So multiple ways, and um, we certainly encourage people to use those. There's there's no reason not to call. Uh, I always say if you're not sure whether you should call or not call, and we'll help you um, sort out how you're feeling and where you should go and maybe what your next steps might be, and, and also connect you with services that can support you in the longer term. Beth, thank you so much for the time today, and thanks for the work that you and your staff do. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate it. And uh, like I said, I hope people are doing well, but please don't hesitate to reach out if you're not feeling good. Keep safe. Thank you. Take care. You too. Beth Mitchell, CEO of the Canadian Mental Health Association of Middlesex. Their name is going to be changing as well. So just keep that in mind if you're looking for contact in the future. Eventually, we're going to see CMHA Thames Valley. So that's just, again, something to to put down in the old memory bank. And, again, their support line is 519 601 
800-259-8055. We have those numbers in studio. And if you're looking to find them, they have just relocated this week, and they are now at 534 Queens Ave in London. So just relocated this week, 534 Queens Ave in London to find CMHA of Middlesex. We mentioned it a couple of times earlier on the show, but we're going to be talking with Dr. Donald Vinn tomorrow from McGill. And he's going to talk about a number of things. One, what you can do with two doses of a vaccine, why it may be a little too cumbersome for society to say, okay, here are the rules for anyone who has both doses. Here are the rules for people who have not received the vaccine. He says that's going to be too cumbersome. We've got to instead look at 75% of people getting both doses of a vaccine, and then we can see where we sit and we can move forward from there. But we'll also talk a little bit about vaccine hesitancy and Dr. Vin will say, hey, it's normal. It is something that, that, sure, you are going to encounter. But he'll talk a lot about the way that this vaccine is delivered. And he will also talk about what he's seen on COVID-19 floors. And that brings us to This Is Our Shot. It is a campaign that has been put together to encourage vaccine confidence across Canada. We shouldn't need a lottery. You shouldn't need incentive that says, well, you know, if you get vaccinated, you can win a million bucks. That's what they've elected to do in other places. But what we're doing here in This Is Our Shot is talking with Canadians and hearing about why it is that they have decided to get vaccinated. And we're lucky enough to have with us the president of Labatt Breweries, Kyle Norrington. Kyle, how are things? Fantastic, Mike. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for being here, and thanks to Labatt for being here in London. There aren't too many days that we can drive around and not realize we are the home of Labatt Breweries, and it always feels good. That's great to hear. Absolutely the home, uh, for sure. It's, it's fantastic to be part of the community there. Let's talk a little bit about COVID-19 vaccines and your role in This Is Our Shot. Kyle, tell us a little bit about getting involved with this and what it's meant for you so far. Yeah, for sure, Mike. So, um, you know, since day one of this uh, horrible pandemic that we've all been uh, managing through, you know, our, our, our way of thinking about it was, you know, to, to have clear priorities. And the first priority, to be very frank uh, and very relevant for the community in London is, you know, with the priority of of ensuring the safety of our people. So whether that was, you know, having the right PPE or creating hand sanitizer or whatever the heck it was at that moment for this, you know, 18 month roller coaster that we've all been on, that was the the priority. And our second priority uh, was being part of the solution with our communities. And, you know, like I said, whether that was, you know, changing our focus from, from beer to sanitizer uh, or, you know, supporting our partners in the restaurant community as it starts to reopen or whatever that thing was that we, we knew could be that could help our communities. That's where we put our focus. And and really, you know, what we're talking about here with vaccination hesitancy and trying to curb it, it you know, really fits under those two priorities. Of course, for us. 
uh, you know, ensuring that our, you know, 3,500 uh, people that work with us, uh, you know, have the right information. That's where it kind of all began. I mean, you know, let's make sure our employees have the right information to make a decision around vaccination. That's kind of where it started. And then when we talked to health officials and we said, okay, this is a different, different chapter in this pandemic, you know, what can we do to help our, our communities? We don't need hand sanitizer the same way we did, you know, 14 months ago. What can we do? And they said, you know, the biggest thing that, you know, the train we see coming is this hesitancy. And, and that's where it started. And we said, okay, well, let's, let's take that on and see if we can help uh, you know, again, provide those facts to a broader audience beyond just our employee base. And from there, the ball started to roll. And, uh, you know, it started with a, with a conversation between, uh, you know, myself and, and uh, people on our team with Facebook Canada. And they kind of said, wow, we like what you guys are up to. We, we came together and we, we started working on a campaign together. Well, then the next you know, snowball that we ran into was this amazing group of people from This Is Our Shot who had done a phenomenal influencer campaign to start, you know, to do exactly what we were doing. We were all headed in the same direction. We said, why, why are we, you know, putting two messages out there? Let's combine our forces. So, so that's exactly where we are today, Mike. We've, you know, we've combined forces, if you will, between, you know, now what, what's now become a consortium of, you know, companies in Canada that, you know, have partnered with this grassroots, grassroots influencer campaign from This Is Our Shot to have one big campaign that's, that's literally hitting the, uh, the airwaves across Canada right now. Well, it's fantastic to see the merge that has taken place. And Ryan Reynolds has been a part of This Is Our Shot, and other celebrities have certainly lent their support to it. You mentioned, and this is just kind of a great way to examine this. You have 3,500 employees, and you're trying to get them information. How do you go about doing that so that those employees are able to read, to understand, and, and to make a decision? How, do they, how does that happen? Yeah, and, and that was, you know, again, before we even partnered with This Is Our Shot, like I said, that was the, where it all began, because that was our priority. And, you know, we have uh, lots of opportunities to communicate with our employees. I mean, I think throughout this entire pandemic, that's, you know, Anybody that's been managing a team or a company or whatever it is, you know, communication has been so key. And uh, we fortunately in Labatt have, you know, great people that help, have helped us sort of communicate to all of our employees and provide that information. Well, that's exactly what we're doing now on thisisourshot.ca, where, you know, not only, of course, we're giving opportunity for our employees to go there and check out the facts because, you know, we want somewhere that where you can get the facts in, you know, languages that everybody understands, also in, you know, different languages. So in this is our shop.ca, we have 30 plus languages that people from all communities across Canada can go and actually get the information they need to make that, you know, the right call about vaccination for them. So, you know, communication is key internally, and obviously we've taken that sort of best practice, if you will, and we've leveraged that as we partnered with This Is Our Shot to, to bring the word and bring the facts to the masses. Kyle Norrington joining us, president of Labatt Breweries, as we talk about This Is 
our shot and kind of the next step in this is our shot so getting the vaccine when it's your turn it this is our shot has been talking about this for a long long time Uh, we've also had kyle people who will say they want to dedicate their vaccine to somebody or or something that they care about how powerful can that be i uh you know it's it's really the the idea behind the, the uh, kind of call it more traditional campaign that, that launched last week. I'm not sure if you've had the chance to see the, the film that, that we launched, but, you know, it is this idea of dedication. And for me, you know, uh, this symbol, you know, of rights, you know, who you're dedicating your, your, your shot to on your, on your bandaid, it's just so powerful because, it's it's reminding you of all those things that we all crave, you know, the the normalcy that is it feels like it has never been so close, but the ability to, you know, I, I, I wrote to my mom on mine who I haven't had the opportunity to visit with. People are, you know, people are dedicating it to the events, the things that they're missing so much. And to me, that's hugely powerful because you know, hopefully that inspires others that see these dedications and, you know, may sort of have them think about vaccinations in a light they haven't already done so. So I think it's a really powerful sort of symbol, this mandate. It's about Canada coming together as a team to heal and, uh, and get back to the things that we, we all miss. Well, you are going to see the hashtag, this is our shot. CA, you've probably seen it for a while. You've been seeing T-shirts, and you've been seeing this is our shot for some time now. The other hashtag we're going to see is together again, and that's one of those ones that I think has a whole lot of meaning for everybody. If we can get to that point where we can be together again, then we're in a good place. Kyle, thanks so much for joining us today and for talking about the latest in this is our shot, and thanks for your role in making it happen. Really appreciate you having me on, Mike. And again, uh, for those listening, you know, check out this is our shot.ca to get any information uh, that you may need to make that informed decision. I really appreciate you having me, and uh, and thanks again, Mike. We'll have to get together and uh, raise a cold one at some point. I'd look we forward will, to that. We, we will be together again. I'd love to do that. <laughs> Take care. Take care. That right there is the president of Labatt Breweries, Kyle Norrington. And there is a partnership that has gone on. Labatt is involved. This is our shot, and their campaign has come together. And what they are doing is now kind of taking this to a whole new level where that education campaign is out there. And as Kyle said, that's that's part of the thing. When he looked around, they have 3,500 Labatt employees. How do you make sure everybody can make an informed decision because there is so much information out there and there's a lot of misinformation. There really is. My wife came home and told me yesterday about a conversation she'd had with someone who was adamant that eight months after you received the COVID-19 vaccine, your organs were going to fail. And this person was so convincing in what they were saying, she had to come home and just sit back and, and, and think for a second because they had all these arguments it's not a thing that's that doesn't happen and that's the kind of stuff that can be out there so 
make sure that you are getting that education. This is our shot.ca, as Kyle says, has gone above and beyond to try and get that information out there so that everybody can say, okay, here it is. This is. I'm going to read through this. I'm going to understand what's been presented. It's one of the reasons why we have a lot of scientists on. We'll have another one on tomorrow. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 